This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK12. And by audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm slash donate to get our alien badges and art prints, featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me once again, as he is every single week, is my esteemed co-host from down there in Texas, the land of fried everything. It's Matthew Rushing. Hey Matthew, it's we're recording this on the eve of Thanksgiving, and I just have to ask you, do they deep fry the turkey in Texas as well? Um, You know, Lots of people in the United States actually deep fry turkeys, and in fact, there's always uh, a plethora of people that get injured because they deep fry turkeys or mm-hmm. they burn down a house or something because they're doing that. Um, now, I have had deep fried turkey, and it is delicious. It uh, sounds it tastes, good. It really yeah. is. It tastes so good. Um, you just definitely need to know how to do it right um, and it to be very, very careful while, while doing it. But it really does turn out well. So, you know, if you deep fry your turkey, um, you, you are in for a treat. Uh, but uh, it can be quite a dangerous um, yeah. exercise to do. You so. know, the thing is, I mean, I'm from the South, too. I'm from Alabama, but I never have had deep fried turkey. It's just something when I was a kid that no one in my family ever made. I've heard of this thing called a turducken. Have you heard of this? It's like a duck inside a turkey. And then yes, I've heard of the turducken, but I've never yeah. experienced it. Yeah. yeah. It, it sounds I, like I mean, it would be an experience, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, to have a duck that crawled inside a turkey's butt, and then, you know, it's very I thought strange. That, I, I, I thought it was a, a turkey ate a duck, and oh, then you that caught that turkey, sense. and then you cooked it. That makes more sense. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, man, who knew we had cannibal turkeys out there? This is crazy. Uh, I know. I think the the turkey, the turkey's throat must be like a snake, where you know they're able to actually swallow something much larger than themselves. Yeah, it's got to be something because that's really, really. I mean, a duck and a turkey. Oh goodness, I I, I think the thought of like a, a you know a turkey's mouth opening that wide <laughs> is probably one of the creepiest things I've ever heard of. That sounds like a really bad horror movie or something. Oh, or a bad away mission. You know, I'm just imagining at some point, some red shirt on Star Trek must have been eaten by a space turkey. 
<laughs> oh man, we've just created a brand new alien race for the new Star Trek show that uh, we're all hoping will happen on TV. And uh, it would be strange alien-looking turkey-like things that can eat you. Goodness. Uh, I don't know why this... I mean, this sounds way better than the Ferengi were in The Next Generation. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the original series had the Halloween episode. Cat's Paw, you could have a Thanksgiving episode with this idea. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and then we could have a Christmas episode with, you know, manic, depressive trees you know that you know we have to have troy talk out of their manic depressiveness you know so we're just flying here (laughs) i I like it i like it all right well let's jump into the we only have one news item today and then we're going to discuss the latest issue of star trek ongoing the third part of the kittimer conflict and then in the future we're going to jump into some older comics and talk about trelane and q and matthew this first we talked, I think it was last show, actually, we talked about Kirsten Byer's upcoming Voyager novel, Protectors. And right after we recorded that show, I think even before we published the episode, the cover artwork came out. So what are your thoughts on the cover here? Well, I mean, it's it's an epic cover. Um, you know, you have two star-crossed lovers, Chakotay and Janeway, and, you know, as the, we last saw them, uh, they were in bed together, and, and now apparently they've been separated by a beam of light. And will they ever reach each other again? Find out next time on Star Trek Voyager Protectors. Um, well, it is. Know, I a... know what that beam of light is. Do you, do you know what it is? Especially, think about it. We're going to talk about Trelane and Q today. Um, it is it the essence of Q between them? Uh, you're close. You're close. So... You know, Q isn't the only Q, as we know. There are, there are many uh, beings uh, in the continuum. What people don't realize is that the monkey from Resolutions is actually a Q. That beam of light is the monkey finding new ways to get between Kathy and Coco. I wondered how they were going to get that monkey back in there. <laughs> and now we finally know why it was there in the first place. It's really just a part of the Q continuum. And, it, right. and you know, we know how the Qs like to mess up Kathy and Coco's romance. Uh, yeah. So apparently uh, there's no end in sight for uh, the shenanigans this monkey is willing to go through <laughs> to keep them apart. Apparently not. Apparently not. So I think that's what's going on here. Now, you were telling me as we were talking before the show or as we've come to call it, the other side of the book, that uh, you felt that this cover had a little bit of a of a romance novel feel to it. <laughs> yeah, it does, kind of. I mean, you know, it's got it's got Chakotay and, and Janeway on the cover. They're both kind of looking in the opposite direction, you know, and um, it, it's, it's, I don't know, it's not bad usage of uh, stock pictures of the two of them, and it's not a badly done cover. I I mean, obviously, I think we've, we've talked about worse covers, um, you know, that we we really did not enjoy um, the Crimson Shadows cover or even really Peaceable Kingdoms cover. But this one looks really well done. I mean, it's, it's you know, got good production value to it. and um, But it does kind of have this uh, romancy feel to it. It's, it's tinged all in um, sepia tones. So, I mean, yeah. you know, what's more romantic than sepia-toned photographs? Well, I think that for the grocery store supermarket cover, special cover for this book, where they're going to put it up there near the register, they're going to make a little change here. 
Chakotay mm-hmm. is going to be shirtless, and his oh, hair okay. is going to be long and flowing. Ah, uh, and he'll have Kathy in his arms, you know, if she's kind of <laughs> leaning back with her hair flowing in the wind, it'll be longer. Right, okay. as Voyager zips by behind them through the sky. Yeah, this is, wow. <laughs> um, it, I did not know that Harlequin and, and Pocket were doing a team up here. <laughs> I mean, you know, we had like the, say, the Doctor Who, Star Trek of the Next Generation comics crossover but who knew this was going to happen um i'm just i'm just i guess i'm waiting for star trek's 50 shades of q or something coming up i I mean uh i mean we're really going to start going for that kind of audience yeah maybe so so (laughs) in all seriousness though you know the cover's fine it's a it's your kind of your standard star trek book cover and um yeah nothing wrong with it here but i'm looking forward to the book and find out where kirsten takes Janeway and Chakotay in the story. And of course, the beam of light monkey. <laughs> All right. All right, Matthew, let's go, let's move on to, to the comic here. We're going to talk about the Kittimer conflict part three, which just came out today. In fact, as we're recording. So spoiler alert, we're going to talk a bit about what goes on in the comic. So if you have not read it by now, of course, this uh, show will not drop until Sunday, so you'll have a few days to have gotten this and read it. Uh, you might want to read it before you listen to the discussion here. So, Matthew, when we last left the crew down on Kronos, Section 31 had busted through the wall and was attacking the Klingons. And, of course, Zara had kicked some ass and Kirk and the crew were escaping down on the planet. And we're going to pick right up with the action here. Yeah, I love that this just begins where we left off. In fact, you know, too, we had had Spock on uh, K-11 with some admirals, them telling him that that he's in no way to go rescue the captain. Um, And so we start off actually with the Enterprise sitting in space as close to the Klingon border as they can get without crossing it. And uh, Spock is, is having a conversation with Bones, who really wants, um, obviously, to get their people back, and Spock is is reluctant to disobey orders, and so and that's going on in the Enterprise. They quickly shift to, meanwhile, back on Kronos, Kirk is pulling Carol Marcus out of the way, and him and his team are hiding behind the rocks as Section 31 comes storming in, and they realize that this whole deal has gone way more south than they thought it was going to. Um, and yeah. I think, you know, too, I, I really like them playing on the fact that, you know, in the film and, and uh, even in the comic beforehand, I think that they thought Starfleet had a better hold on Section 31 and mopping up that mess that had been created. And they're realizing here very quickly that uh, Section 31 is 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 going to be a much bigger problem than they thought. Yeah, it's an interesting take that they have on Section 31 in the Abramsverse and the way they're expanding them in these comics because we traditionally think of Section 31 as a a CIA or a KGB-type organization that's behind the scenes, in the shadows. They have agents. They influence events. They maybe carry out assassinations, but they're very shadowy. But in the Abrams verse, and especially in this comic, as we see here, as they're bursting through this wall on Kronos, 
they have, it's like a Mako feel from Enterprise quite a bit. And it really feels like a wing of the military that literally is capable of, if they wanted to overthrow Earth's government or overthrow the Federation government, they could do so at any time. And it's just not really how I've thought of Section 31 in the past. This, yeah, this Section 31 reminds me much more of the uh, Black Ops uh, style um, commandos that, uh, you know, for hire mm -hmm. and um, that you, yeah. you'd see uh, today. And so I, I feel like they've kind of taken the Section 31 and put those two, uh, you know, that kind of Black Ops and a CIA thing and put that together um, and kind of come up with their own version of Section 31. But it works. It's really effective here. And... Um, a great enemy because they're they're playing both of those sides the 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 big political power moving game as well as the brute force game or, or, or i should say brute force it's more like that surgical strike force which right. you know yeah. it can be so deadly and so yeah uh kirk and kirk and the crew are trying to escape here and they run into core and kirk is trying to explain look um, I, I, you have to believe me. They're here to kill us just as much as they are you. And he's about to shoot him when Kor ends up dead. So unfortunately, that's kind of sad that Kor is already dead and he, uh, JJ. Right. Bruce. So how are they going to explain in the Abrams verse version of blood oath? How are they going to explain Kor being back on the station? <laughs> um well uh i guess at this point you know we're really not gonna go one for one uh anymore we're we're, we're really <laughs> so. charting our own course and so um I, what's really interesting is 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 you i love the way this comic's working because it's written very much like a television episode so is, well yeah. in fact because you yeah. keep jumping the you know kirk and his crew are now at the point of a of a phaser from section 31 and you immediately jump without knowing what's going to happen to them to a staff meeting with <laughs> Spock and the rest of the crew right. um which was so classic that we're getting a staff meeting i, I mean he's apparently pulling up a card a little early <laughs> uh, this is a this is a full on TNG style staff meeting that's going on here as well yeah, it really is. Um, and actually, though, I, I think it's uh, it's really well done because it, you realize that the Enterprise crew has figured out that the weapons used to attack Kittimer are the same weapons that the Vengeance used to attack. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that Section 31 is involved, they've figured out. And they're also realizing, too, that Section 31 has a stranglehold more so on Starfleet than they thought. And they're also finding out that this means that maybe their orders to stay out of this aren't really the best orders. And so Spock decides to pull a Kirk and head to Kronos, which, man, I really, really like this. I, Chris, again, I'm going to say this again. Why was this not the movie? Or why isn't this just the third movie? Because, dang, this is good stuff. Yeah, the, this would would make a great movie. I think we've said that every time we've talked about the comic, but it really would, and it would make a better movie than Into Darkness. It would make a better movie than 2009. Hmm. Uh, this is actually really, it's a really good story because it's original. And 
Well, I'm yeah, it's original, well. and it's I mean, it's it's smartly using the things that they've set up. You know, they they're using everything from 2009. They're using everything from Into Darkness, and they're crafting a really well told story that's making those other two movies, I think, even better. You know, yeah. and, and so um, I I just wish that they would, and I hope that they will do the same thing with the third film that they're doing here and, and really use those two as the other, as a catalyst then to craft, uh, you know, a third story. So it feels like a, a really good trilogy instead of having that third movie kind of feel like a standoff. It's just a third movie. So. You know what? I don't really like that they are doing in these comics though. And I, this is just me being kind of picky, I guess, but I don't like when they put an asterisk in the copy and then put the yellow uh, box that says as seen in Star Trek into darkness as seen in ongoing number eight. Yeah. Like, that's okay, I get it. I read they, them. <laughs> yeah. That's something though, that they do in comics all the time. Yeah. Uh, for any comic you read because you have those big crossover events, you know? Yeah. So like, say you're reading a DC comic and you may need to go read the backstory and, you know, Superboy yeah. because what's happening there and Superman happened in Superboy. So you, know, know, you get all that kind of stuff happen. I know why they do it. Although I think that you and Uhura saw what they're like up close on Kronos asterisk as seen in Star Trek into darkness. And I'm thinking, right. you know, anyone reading this comic just saw that movie right. three or four months ago. So I really don't need to be reminded the one about ongoing number eight, that one I can understand a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. And the red matter and the Romulans having it. Right. Well, this is interesting too, because, you know, we jump back to Kirk and, um, Kirk says, you know, I, I thought that this had been, you know, section one kind of died out with Marcus and he, and the, the agent tells him, you know, don't be so naive. You know, we have had contingency plans for if something happened to Marcus and we're definitely going to be taking out the Klingons permanently. And as they're having ending this conversation, this agent has them beamed up. And you realize they're not going anywhere good because it's a green transporter beam. And so something is really going to go wrong here. And they end up on one of the Romulan ships there that's in orbit. And so, uh, which I thought was great. I mean, just a great uh, reveal. It's very cool to see a Romulan ship inside, uh, as well as apparently Romulans all still have the tattoos. Um, right. And uh, But this one has Although hair. Although they're not bald. So. They actually have exactly. Romulan-looking hair, Romulan ears, right. but they do have somewhat less complex tattoos than Nero had. Right. So uh, they, they end up on the ship, and they run into a brand-new uh, Section 31 agent whose name is Lenar, and he's there to make sure that apparently the Romulans keep their word. And Kirk has realized that uh, Section 31 is been using the same weapons and that it really is them behind this whole attack on Kittimer with the Romulans and uh, he says that um, he's going to stop them and it was interesting because the Section 31 agent tells him you know I was there when you you know cheated on the Kobayashi Maru uh, yeah. I was there as we watched you you know get in trouble with that with the tribunal and uh, you said you don't believe in no-win scenarios. Uh, how is it like facing one now? And then, of course, all hell breaks loose. So, 
because some Klingons attack, which right. makes it really interesting because you got these Klingon ships that look partly like the Narada and partly like Klingon ships now attacking these Romulan ships with Section 31 uh, weapons. This is crazy. So It'd make a great space battle, that's for sure. Oh, my goodness. Do, do you like the way that in the Abrams verse, when the Enterprise warps somewhere, mm-hmm. when they come out of warp, they always come out of warp like right in the center of some kind of giant battle. Like right in the middle. Like how how, how yeah. do you do that in the first place? You know, I don't know, but they do it again because the Enterprise literally just warps <laughs> right into the middle of this huge battle between Romulans and uh, the uh, the Klingons. Yep. And the Romulans, which is an the... epic battle of the kind, with oh the gosh. exception of the of some of the moments in the JJ films it's the kind of battle that we otherwise have never seen in Star Trek except for in the Dominion War yes exactly I was thinking that that this is very reminiscent of that Dominion War skirmishes that we've seen or um because it's not quite as large as the the epic battle and sacrifice of angels but it's it's close and so um the Romulans tell Spock that he has a few moments to either join them destroying the Klingons or he destroys the Enterprise and Spock tells him oh no I'm, I'm sorry you see while we've been talking your shields have been down because your ship is damaged and we scanned for our crew and we've got them so see ya <laughs> he did the he did the ha ha yeah from the Simpsons <laughs> <laughs> exactly um and so uh, Spock immediately thinks they're going to leave, and Kirk tells him, no, look, we have got to stop Section 31 and these Romulans from destroying the planet because there's only one way they're going to destroy the planet, and we know what that is. It's red matter, and so we need to go stop them. So he takes a team down. Luckily, he takes Sulu with him and Zahara, which, oh, goodness. Well, I mean, we could go on about her all night. Um, I was thinking that I, I'm like, Matthew is going to get really excited about Zara in this comic because, first of all, Kirk says, let's take our best fighters, and Zara's one of them. And then once Zara gets down there and starts knocking everyone out, I thought, well, Matthew's really going to, it's all he's going to talk <laughs> about in the last part of this comic. Zara, well, Zara, it was, Zara. Yeah, it was It was good. <laughs> this is a great This is a great scene. You know, they... they um, are infiltrating on Kronos. They get attacked by Section 31 agents. It looks bad because they're surrounded. Um, and then every single one of the Enterprise crew members does something to be able to, you know, take out their agent. Uh, and it's really well done. And so they get to this point where they're about to leave. And who beams in but Yuki? That's right. The stupid little sister of Sulu shows up and says... I joined Section 31 even though you didn't, bro, and I'm here to stop you. <sighs> okay, now, what did you think about this twist? Because this one was, I don't know. I mean, you can look at it and say, okay, oh, this was clever. They set this up. They brought her in, and you thought, well, why is she coming on the ship? And then she turns out to be Section 31. But I don't know. I got to this page, and I'm kind of like, eh, I'm not quite buying this. Chris, I think what it goes back to is the first time in Into Darkness where we saw a female character 
And we all kind of wondered who that was, but they, they shaded her face that you could only see her lips and kind of tell oh, she was female. Oh, and Countdown to Darkness. Mike, exactly. Okay. Countdown to Darkness. Yeah. So that's her. That's Yuki Sulu. Yeah. My guess is that it's it's her. Um, and so that's finally the reveal of this, who this person is, this kind okay. of shadowy figure. And we thought it was the, the girl from the Academy who was the head of Red Squad. Yes, I thought it might be her, which would have been really interesting. Uh, and you know, who knows? I mean, so that's just my guess is is now that we had this this female Section 31 agent revealed who's been among us the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and it would make sense. I mean, you know, they do. They did choreograph it in, in pretty well by having her transfer the Enterprise, making it seem very innocent. Uh, you kind of wondered, what the heck is she doing here? Why does this matter? Is this just something for Sulu? But it's a nice twist, and hopefully yeah. it, it, it plays out well. I mean, I don't want it to get cheesy or something. I, I mean, yeah. I, th- I think it would be kind of awesome if maybe Sulu has to kill his own sister or something. Does it work for you? It, it works for you, though? Because I don't know. For me, it's this yeah, is the it, thing. It would have it would work for me if we had known that Sulu had a sister and that there was some buildup to it. For me, the idea that the Red Squad leader would be the person would make it would be more effective for me because of the exchange that they had at the Academy in the first place. And for her to come back around at this point, suddenly that would be a nice little tie in loop for me. It almost feels like this was just an idea. Oh, why don't we make Sulu have a sister and let's make her the agent. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not crazy. I might come to like this just fine over time, but when I turned the page and I saw it, yeah, I don't know. This was a little bit out of the blue for me. I think the reason, the main reason that they did it, Chris, is because they needed somebody who you didn't suspect at all. Right. Um, you know, you immediately would have suspected, well, you know, his Red Squad mate and, and her being on the Enterprise. You would have yeah. always thought something was fishy. This way, you never suspect that there's a, you know, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Right. Although we haven't seen her. We haven't seen the Red Squad girl in quite a while we have not Uh, if they really needed someone who we would never suspect instead of creating a sister for sulu i think they should have just used keenzer because i would have never pegged him for a section 31 agent oh goodness but i mean can you imagine the backlash of fans i mean he oh man keenzer (laughs) is like a a a small g god to people in star trek these days you know uh, so many stories revolve around him. I can't imagine them sullying his his name with with this kind of treason against the Enterprise crew. But think how effective he would be. He beams down and he says, I can't allow this to go any further. Drop your weapons and no one drops them. And he just looks at you and just gives you that sad face <laughs> in those eyes until you just give up and you, you're like, oh, all right. And you just drop your guns and you're... Uh, yeah, I see that happening, and I, I'm I'm worried. Um, I really <laughs> don't want to see the Keenzer stare. I'm I'm actually worried for my own health, personally. <laughs> but no, uh, again, another great issue, I think, Chris. Um, it, it just I think again, they're really stepping up the storytelling in the ongoing comics. They're paying off a lot of the things that they've been working on for you know over a year and a half or whatnot. And I think they're really making work what they had been given with the movie and uh, creating a fantastic story. So all in all, I, I'd give this, um, I don't know, goodness, probably good 
nine and a half out of ten evil sisters. <laughs> you went with the sister rating. Okay, all right. Yeah, I was I was going to give it surprise sisters, uh, and I would give it. Yeah, I probably about eight out of ten. It's a good comic. I enjoy the story. This definitely feels like that third part of four, where you just pick up in the middle of something and then you leave in the middle of something. I felt like the voices were a little bit off at times, especially with Scotty a, a little bit. And the the artwork is really nice. I felt like the some of the scenes like Uhura saying, well, I'm sure that Marcus had some kind of contingency plans in case la la la. And then down on the planet where the Section 31 guys tell Kirk, well, you know, Marcus had some contingency plans in right. case da, da, da. I felt yeah. like that was a little bit handled a little bit roughly like it wasn't necessary to actually put it in both scenes but overall yeah i think it's good come and i really like the fact that we have an original story going here because i can really get into this story and i'm not thinking about the fact that this is a reboot of these characters that i grew up with i'm, I'm just following it as a story at this point which which i think is how it needs to be to buy into the abrams verse yeah, I think so too. I think uh, you know this is really the reason for doing this Abrams verse is is giving you this freedom to be able to create a story with these characters that we know, but put them in all new situations. And uh, you know, obviously, I think um, you know it heard uh, Bob Orsi talking to the guys over there on on uh, Mission Pod, uh, uh, Mission Log Pod about this you know that he really does hope to to be able to do something different in the next film he feels like they have earned their right completely now to be free to tell a new story with these characters and you know uh who wouldn't want that especially since i think the actors in in, in the darkness to me proved that they can really take these characters and do some good things with them uh, i really really like uh pine is is kirk um, I think that Dr. McCoy needs a lot more to do. Carl Urban is fantastic. And I would love to see um, a, a little bit more of that Kirk-Spock-Bones relationship as well right. in this universe. Because it's been sorely lacking, honestly, in the film. So, um, But yeah, this proves, I think, these comics. You can do great stories that don't have anything to do with the original Star Trek universe. Because there's so much to play with. You know, I mean, the the mirror universe showed us that too. You can take all these characters and put them under completely new situations, and 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 it can it can be great. So hopefully they'll continue that in in Star Trek three. Most definitely. And as far as this comic goes, we have to wait a month now, and then we'll get part four and find out what's going to happen here at the end. How Kirk's going to handle Section thirty one and the red matter. So looking forward to that. Okay, Matthew, well, that's all we're going to talk about in the news segment today. Before we jump into the feature and talk about the other comics, let's tell everyone about our sponsor for this week's show, Squarespace. Squarespace is the best hosting in CMS. It makes it really simple for you to create your own blog, website, portfolio, or online store because you have a great content management system combined with really solid hosting. It's really, really difficult to ever bring down a Squarespace site because the, of the resources they have and the strength of the hosting. And there are several things that I love about Squarespace. And one of them, of course, is that it's very design focused because I am a designer and I really care about aesthetics. 
And, but, but at the same time, you know, if I have information I want to get out there, I want to just get it on the web. I don't want to put all my time into the design process and the coding because I need to be writing the content or like your Trek FM, Trek FM is built on Squarespace, by the way, we need to produce the podcasts. We have to record, we have to edit. We want to push that stuff out to all of you guys. So we don't want to spend our time coding the website. So Squarespace's design focus makes that really, really easy. And also, there are the connected accounts, Matthew, where you can push your content out there to Twitter, to Facebook, to places like that. What's your favorite social media channel, Matthew, for if you're if you're like me, you don't really go out looking for content on the web as much as you just wait for people to push it to you? You know, um, I really like Twitter for that, um, Chris, I, and, and that's what I use for, for my own blog as well. I, I find Twitter works really well, but at the same time, um, you know, it's, I think the main ones for me are Twitter and Facebook, and, and they they really seem to be the best ones um, for kind of getting people to my site. Um, and uh, I, I love the ease of, of use of Squarespace and being able to push to those very easily. And, and I think that's great um, because those are great. Uh, like you said, I so many times I find a news article because I'm looking at the Twitter feed, not just because I'm going and perusing websites. Exactly. You know, it reminds me too with uh, Safari and Mavericks, and I know many of our listeners use Windows, but many of our listeners use Mac. And the way Safari works in Mavericks with the, the reading list and the shared links thing is that if people you follow on Twitter are tweeting out links, all of those articles appear right there in Safari. You can click mm-hmm. and you can just see them all in a list. So promoting your content through Twitter that way uh, and for those people anyway, it's, it's like you're taking your articles and your blog posts or your, your business articles, whatever it is, and you're pushing it directly into their browser. They actually have a way to just click over and it's just going to be there. And so the connected accounts features on Squarespace really help you do that with absolutely no effort on your part. And of course, responsive design is really important because, I read things on my desktop and I have large displays on the desktop, but I also read on my iPad. I read on my iPhone. The screen sizes are very, very different. And I, I know that as a designer, it's really tedious to create multiple versions of a website so that it looks great on both platforms. And with Squarespace, you don't have to do that. You just do the site one time and it's going to reflow and it's going to look fantastic no matter what the screen size or orientation is. Matthew, you know, we were just talking about the Abrams verse and how the the comic, the ongoing, this Kittimer conflict comic is very original. And I was just thinking of a great use of Squarespace for someone is that if you like to write fan fiction, Squarespace, just using one of the built-in templates would make it so easy for you to just immediately set up, just really in a matter of minutes, set up a beautiful website where you could write about these characters and take them to new places and just push that out to everyone with without you needing to know anything about setting up a website. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the nice things about uh, Squarespace is that it's so easy to do. You don't have to be tech savvy. Um, if you're like me, you're not. And this really gives you the ability to take that, put it out there, and and not have to worry about that kind of stuff. And I love that. Because uh, I don't want to have to spend all my time trying to figure out how to make the website. I just want to be able to put my content out there. Exactly. And also, if you want to sell products, that's another thing. Of course, you know, 
writing fiction and publishing it is great, but sometimes you want to sell products. And, you know, if you're a crafter, even if you're a big business, if you want to sell physical or digital products online, it can be sort of difficult to get that set up. You know, you have to go in and set up a store infrastructure. You have to be able to process credit cards. And uh, if you're a business, for example, and you have to have corporate PayPal, that there are a lot of hoops to jump through to set that up because I've done it before for my own business. But with Squarespace, they've integrated Stripe into the platform. And so as a Squarespace customer, you get 30-second merchant sign-up. You get instant approval, no paperwork to do. And in a matter of minutes, you can begin receiving money for purchases via direct deposit. Full tax and shipping rules by region are handled by Stripe, by the platform. And this is available in the US, UK, Canada, Australia, Belgium, France, Germany, Ireland, the Netherlands, and Spain right now. And that list of countries is going to be expanding in the future. So it's a, a really, really easy way for you to accept credit cards online, to sell your products. You can even print your shipping labels, packing slips through the interface there. You can send customer update emails. You can track outstanding orders. You can even move your existing Shopify or Big Cartel inventory over to Squarespace with just a few clicks. So blog, online store, uh, site for your personal writing, your fiction, you can do it all with Squarespace. And the best way to find out how easy it is, is to try it free for 14 days. There's no credit card required. Just go enter your name and your email address. And in a matter of minutes, you will be creating a beautiful website using the exceptional tools at Squarespace. Plans start at just $8 per month. You can get unlimited everything for $16. And if you want the commerce feature, that's just $24 per month. Plus, as a Trek FM listener, you can save 10% off your purchase on new accounts by using offer code TREK11. So just go to squarespace.com and try it for free. And we really thank Squarespace for their support of Literary Treks and the network. All right, Matthew, well, let's jump into our feature discussion today. And we're going to do two comics about Trelane. Uh, one of them is from DC. One is from Marvel. And the reason I chose these comics is because a couple of weeks ago in the Ready Room, we did The Squire of Gothos. And one of the discussions that we had was the classic, is Trelane a Q? And I talked a little bit about the first comic we're going to do here, which is called A Little Man-to-Man Talk. This is the DC comic from April of 1993, part of the numbered Star Trek series. This was Star Trek 45. And the, the other one we're going to do after that is from Marvel, January 1998. It was the seventh issue of Star Trek Unlimited, which actually brings Trelane and Q together. And because this show is our platform for discussing comics and you and I are into the comics, I just thought it would be really fun to talk to you about the idea of Trelane being a Q, first of all, and secondly, how that was handled in the comic universe. Yeah, I think this is uh, this is a really interesting idea. And it's interesting because, you know, if you go back and you watch the Squire of Gothos, you know, he has something behind that mirror that's helping him with his power. And we also know that he's a he's a young whatever they are um, because his parents come to collect him at the end um, for causing too much trouble. And uh, and so it, it's it's very interesting thought that, you know, is he just a, a really young Q at that point who doesn't have full control of all his powers 
Um, or is he something else? And, you know, when we think of all the omnipotent beings that um, Kirk and his crew run into, it's it's mind-boggling how many. It seems like every other week they're running into some sort of omnipotent being that they're able to best. Um, and so um, apparently omnipotent beings really aren't what they, you know, all cracked up to be uh, in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, so this was interesting. Reading this uh, first comic, I, I thought it was an interesting place to start it. I mean, we start off on the bridge of the Enterprise. This is the Enterprise A. Um, this is actually after um, the events of... Um, I guess it's after the search for Spock, isn't it? Well, actually, this is a, this would be after the events of um, Star Trek V because of the way that the bridge is laid out and okay, yeah. the the way that the the bridge looks is 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 yeah, actually they don't, Star Trek 6. They don't get the A until the end of the voyage home, right? So, yeah. Right. Okay. And so, but what's strange enough is that on the very first page, Savick is actually still with the Enterprise. And so that's which the thing, is quite yeah. interesting. That, I I think that's why I was thinking after the search for Spock, because we have Savick here, and it is the Robin Curtis Savick that we have as well. It's not my favorite Kirstie Alley Savick. Yes, yes. Um, it always is interesting to me in the comics when they do use the Robin Curtis version, um, when they can just as easily create the um, Kirstie Alley version as if it really yeah. matters in the comics because it's the same character. I guess the feeling is that once an actor is replaced in the franchise, then you have to use that actor moving forward. It's, it's almost like retro. This character will always be the last actor who played it. Yeah, I guess that's the case. And so it's um, it's it's an interesting thing, too. I mean, just to see her on the Enterprise at this point, because, you know, she never does. Um, she never does appear again in, in this show at all. And in fact, you know, if they had had their way, they would have brought um, Savick back as the traitor in Star Trek right. Six, and Roddenberry said no. And I was going to say, if Valeris had been Savick, Kim Cattrall would have been my favorite Savick. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I think Kim Cattrall was everybody's favorite Vulcan, actually. Um, and so... Uh, but yeah, this is great. I mean, you start with uh, the Enterprise here. It's the bridge. And um, apparently there's a very strange, powerful um, surge of energy coming towards the Enterprise that feels, and it seems like to them, a transporter. But no, it turns out to be Trelane. Or we think it's Trelane. That's what it feels like at the beginning of the comic. Although as we go on through this comic, we, we find out that... The, the energy being, uh, the beam is apparently not Trelane, but rather the other, the woman who's chasing him. Right, exactly. And uh, so uh, Trelane shows up. I was up. a little worried, though, I have to say, as someone who, of course, thinking of TNG, I was I was afraid that was going to impregnate Savick. Goodness, I'm glad that did not happen. Um, <laughs> wow. Or or maybe, you know, he would be trying to, and you know, like on, like on Voyager, he was going to show up and, and try and, uh, you know, a mate with like Ahura or Savik or something like that, you know? Right. Um, well, I was like thinking Savik would... would have a child and it would age rapidly. Ah. So because this energy oh. thing came into the ship. 
Yes. Well, that could have been interesting too. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's move on. So, yeah. so Trelane does appear on the ship. Yes. And, oh, and he's got on his full general retired garb. But, but this is set 20 years after the encounter that Kirk had with Trelane in the Squire of Gothus. Yeah, this is it. It's interesting to see him show up now at this point. And uh, Kirk is definitely not happy. In fact, the moment he gets on, he starts insinuating that Kirk is in a relationship with Savick and, yeah. you know, asking her about, you know, what it's like to be with him. And, well, in is, fact, is, you know, he, well, he, he says, does he bring you to new heights of ecstasy with each successive encounter? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then Savick says, the captain and I are not lovers. <laughs> oh, and then I love it because Kirk goes, Lieutenant Savick is my helm officer, my very young helm officer. <laughs> yes. And of course, I'm thinking, what do you mean? You're, is that a problem? For you, Kirk, that she's a young yeah. Are you officer? ageist? You know. <laughs> but basically, what's going on here, of course, is that Trelane he looks exactly as he did in the Squire of Gothos, and he's jabbing Kirk for looking so much older. Yeah, I do. I do love that 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 fact. And um, so Trelane tells him, you know, I've arrived to to study you, and what I want to study you do is I want to study you picking up women uh, exactly. and then mating with them, which may be the strangest start to a comic <laughs> in Star Trek I've ever seen. It really is. <laughs> and and one, one thing we learn about Trelane here right off the bat is that he likes to watch. Which is super creepy. I mean, <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I, I wasn't sure it could get much creepier. So uh, Kirk, he transports Kirk to a uh, a deep space port, um, and they are uh, they even wearing different clothes. And he tells he tells Kirk, "Look, um, you, you need to pick up on that three boobed chick, uh, three boobed <laughs> red, red chick. Ex excuse yeah. me, and the purple uh, hair. And exactly. And Kirk's like, "No, I'm not doing that." And, uh, of course, then Trelane uh, decides that he needs to be threatened by uh, having him almost die like yeah. he was exposed to the, the winds on the, the planet that Trelane was found on, the ammonia winds that almost yeah. choked him to life, to death. And so... Well, a couple of things here, Matthew. First of all, I love the name of this station that they've gone to. The locals call it Spinagle's Spawning Ground. So yeah. That, <laughs> That sounds like a pickup bar for sure. And But the other thing, talking about whether or not Trelane is a Q, one thing that I've noticed in the comics, and it's especially the case here on these two pages, when Trelane whisks Kirk away from the Enterprise Bridge to the Starbase, and also when he sends Kirk out into the ammonia winds that you're talking about, in both cases, mm -hmm. he uses a finger snap to do it the way right. Q would. Yeah, it's it's very reminiscent of Q. Um and yeah, this this bar is dodgy. I mean, it looks like you're going to get space herpes just by being in it. Um yeah. and all the ships around it look all run down. I mean, this is just not a place to be. And so Kirk, you know, realizing that his life is on the line here, he 
asks if he can sit down next to the uh, very interesting red-skinned woman. Um, and her boyfriend, her big old Gorn-like boyfriend, attacks and almost uh, kills Kirk, basically. And then, at this point, Trelane returns Kirk back to the Enterprise. Right. So, so we got a classic, like a, a good TOS bar fight scene right there. That's got to be in there. Mm-hmm. No Andorians, though. No Andorians. That's right. Uh, before we move on in the story, Matthew, shall we take a moment to stop with you know the PlayStation Four and the Xbox One just launched? Shall we take a moment to stop and talk about the ad on the page here from the original comic, the Atari Lynx, the most fun you can hold in your hands. With 16-bit <laughs> action, Chris, I mean, goodness, I, I'm i actually kind of having trouble um, containing myself here at this point. I, I mean, think so. Um, and, of course, if, really... if we had Tristan on the show with us, Batman Returns is one of the games for Lynx that they're promoting here, so we might lose him there, too. Yeah, this is uh, fantastic. I'm, I'm <laughs> really excited to go get my Lynx uh on Black Friday, hopefully um, they'll have um, them still available, and uh, <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure though. I mean, I got a good chance. I've got a good feeling that they might get sold out, and so uh, who knows? They might. I think you've been uh, you've been watching too much Doctor Who, Matthew. You're not going to be getting in your TARDIS and going back to 1989 to get your links. Chris, you're always ruining my fun. <laughs> So uh, 1993, I, I guess it would be. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, okay, uh, so let's go so, on with the so, story. <laughs> get back. It's one thing I love about this. So, so if people don't know, the, the way that we're reading these these much older comics is, as we've talked about before in the show, we have that DVD with all the old comics going all the way back scanned. And what they actually did was they literally put the comics on a scanner and just scanned them. And so we have all the ads from the time period and, and it's actually quite fun to read those. Yeah, it is really funny because it, it does feel like you've stepped back in time. And so, well, uh, so we get, we get back to the enterprise and um, he returns uh, Kirk to the enterprise. And then they realize our, our, Terlane realizes that there's there's some sort of energy being that these uh, that this the the officers are talking about Savick and Spock, and he pushes the Enterprise into a completely different sector. In fact, they are 17 parsecs from their original location. Which, as we know from Star Wars, parsecs are not a unit of measurement of space. <laughs> right. So, but apparently. Um, the writers of this comic did not get that memo. Apparently not. So, so yeah, and this is another thing that is very, very Q-like. So in the Squire of Gothos, everything takes place in that castle. And But when we move Trelane out of that episode and when we move him into the literary universe, we see him doing these things like whisking the Enterprise away into another region of space. Here he throws them into the middle of an asteroid belt, which, by the way, Matthew, this is not just any asteroid belt. This is serious business. This is a Density 12 asteroid belt. And what's strange is that they really just look like giant potatoes in space. 
Um, right. Yeah. And so uh, apparently that is what a density 12 asteroid belt, the asteroids all just look like giant potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. But this, yeah, this whisking away and, and then he, he sends the enterprise there and leaves them. And then he takes Kirk to his apartment in San Francisco. Which is very strange. Um, and he tells him that this is the best place to pick up chicks. And um, <laughs> San Francisco brings... Trelane, I don't, yeah. I don't oh, know yeah. what's going on. You know, you say you've been observing Earth from, from Gothos. Um, I, I'm not sure that you picked the right location. I, I might go to like the campus of Ole Miss or somewhere. Yeah, um, I feel like he has maybe gone to the wrong city. Maybe it's changed in Starfleet's time. Um, and, uh, but Trelane, you know, uh, being somebody that he, like he is, whether he's uh, some sort of Q or not, he brings another, a person from, from Kirk's past, Yeoman Teresa Ross, well, who was and, actually a part of the episode that we saw. And so. Exactly. So, so Trelane remembers her. He remembers dancing with her. And so that's who he brings back. I, I guess that he picked up on the vibe between Kirk and Teresa uh, in that episode and thought that she would be the ideal person. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what we're, we're learning here about Trelane though, is that he really completely does not understand women or relationships. And that's the gist of the whole comic is that he wants to learn about this, but, but the way he does it is it is kind of like the teenager who has complete misconceptions about how this works and but he has the powers to bring people together yeah it it, it is very very strange and um so kirk is, you know explains to her that um you know he he wants to spy on us and and watch us mate and um she laughs at him and i love how kirk says um is it that funny? Uh, is you know, is it really that funny? I mean, look at me. I'm James T. Kirk. Everybody wants a piece of this action, uh, and so yeah. I think I thought that was that the really kind of a just a funny line for him. But then she admits Kirk. that 20 years ago I would have. Oh yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, look at you now, though, Kirk. You're uh, you're no spring chicken anymore. So that's right. I found it interesting here too, and again, it's it, it is cue like. I found it interesting that Trelane becomes the fire, and you see his face in the fire, and it also reminded me a little bit of Howl's Moving Castle, where in the book there there is a mm-hmm, demon, mm-hmm. a fire demon, in the fire, yep. and Trelane is is like that. Yeah, it, it did remind me of that. Um... I was actually kind of thinking of that or, you know, in, in, um, in Harry Potter, they can, they can use the fire to put their face in and talk to each other without leaving where they are. Okay. Yeah. Like, like and that so, as well. yeah. uh, yeah, I thought about that too. So, um, it, it's a, it's a, it's a strange, it's a strange thing. And so they both tell, they both tell him, look, we're not doing this. We're not, we're not giving in. We're not going to go through with this. So you might as well just send us home and uh and so he he gets very upset and he sends Kirk back to the Enterprise and um it doesn't go as well I think as as Kirk thought it was going to 
No, no. And of course, Trelane, he's throwing the temper tantrum here. He's the, the upset kid. He didn't get his way. So he gets very angry. Throw, it, it surrounds it. Well, he's in the fire already, but now he's out. It's actually Trelane, but surrounded by fire, throwing Kirk backwards, and then Kirk ends up on the bridge as well. Before we go on to the next bit here, though, uh, an interesting tidbit here. Tell me what you think about this. Thinking back to the Squire of Gothos and what happened with Teresa and Trelane, in the comic here, 20 years later, Teresa is a Federation judge. and But she mentions that she left Starfleet after the encounter with Trelane. So apparently having to dance in a castle with Trelane was so traumatic for her that she resigned her commission. Did you find that a little bit strange? Uh, maybe she just really didn't like the whole unknown thing and, um, you know, having to dance with creepy weirdo, you know, um, omnipotent uh, children, omnipotent beings. Yeah. And so, you know, I can understand that. I don't, I, I, if I was being forced to dance with some strange cue like being, I I might be a little upset and and I tell you, if, if I were, if I were in a case where uh, they, somehow someone had accused me of uh, dancing with them without permission, I would not want her to be the judge on that case because she's going to throw right, the book at me. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So Kirk is back on the ship and he's hallucinating. Yeah, I thought this was interesting. You you get this. Uh, Kirk is is not. He's just having a bad day. Um, and so he gets back on the Enterprise. He's hallucinating, and everybody's telling him. You've been dangerous all. We're all going to die. It's all your fault. And Spock mind melds with him to to break the hallucination. And then Trelane shows back up and says, you know, um, I'm going to make this a bit more of a challenge. And they get popped into. Oh, the core of a star. Yeah, he takes them into a core of a star. I didn't even know that was possible for a Starfleet ship. Uh, I mean, hopefully Trelane is protecting them because I, I honestly did not know that that would be something that would be possible for them. Well, you know what it reminds me of and what this whole comic reminds me of, and I mentioned this on the Ready Room when we talked about Squire of Gothos, this whole story is it's like the genesis of the Q and the Grey on Voyager because it's yes. the same situation mm-hmm. where you've got Q and you've got the female Q snapping their fingers and sending Voyager into all these crazy places. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um I I can I can totally see that. That's you know, yeah, that's good thought, Chris. I I'm surprised I didn't think about that before. Um, because it really is kind of the same thing. Well, because it's the same thing where there's a relationship issue as well. And you've got right, you've right. got Q running away from from the female Q. And mm-hmm. then here you've got a Trelane running away from a female, whatever they are. Yeah, it's it, it's um, it's exactly like that. So maybe maybe just Voyager wasn't as original as we. Oh, wait, never mind that. I, I can't even get that out of my mouth. Um, apparently they stole this from the comic and, (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness. Um, anyway, uh, I, I do like that, um, that this next person shows up. I I thought that that this was really interesting 
And the next person that, that he brings Kirk to is is Carol Marcus, yeah. who is uh, now an archaeologist studying because of uh, after what had happened to David and uh, herself with her research being turned into a weapon or, or at least trying to be turned into a weapon. And so uh, I do really like this a lot. Um, and, and it's great to see Carol again and that she does still have this meaning for uh, Kirk in a way that, you know, a lot of other people don't. You know, what I found interesting here in terms of the artwork is that they're on this planet and Carol is on an archaeological dig. There's this wall here and it's got Egyptian hieroglyphics all over it. And, you know, I recently rewatched the original Battlestar Galactica, which has a very heavy Egyptian uh, inspiration to it. They, you know, they go to a planet, they find pyramids. Uh, of course, the, the Viper helmets are kind of Egyptian <laughs> helmets there. And you think about that, you think about Stargate, and now you've got that in this comic. It basically, the Egyptians were, in every franchise, the Egyptians were aliens of some sort that came to Earth. Well, I mean, everybody thinks that the Egyptians had help building the pyramids. Yeah. So, I, guess that's I mean... It. So maybe Trelane yeah, helped them build the pyramids. Ooh, think about that. Ooh, that's a scary thought. Uh, Trelane <laughs> in Egypt. Um, goodness. So uh, Kirk and um, and Marcus start uh, talking, and he's telling her, you know, why he's there, and and she's explained to him why he why she is where he, she is, and and not working in in uh, her main field of science anymore. And they get to this point of starting to have a heart to heart, and she says, "No, God, Jim, I don't want to do this," and he says, "No," as a question, and then they hug, and then they kiss. And then Kirk starts to throw a tantrum by telling Trelane that he he's not going to do this. Uh, he's definitely not going to be doing this right now with yeah. uh, Carol Marcus with him watching. And then in classic Cisco faction, he punches Trelane in the face and I knocks love this him scene. on his ass. Yeah, I, I love, love it. <laughs> classic, so good. Um, and uh, and so. Uh, Trelane gets very angry. He beams them back, Kirk and him, to to the Enterprise, and they have set the auto destruct. Yeah, that that's how they're gonna they're gonna get rid of him. I found this a little bit odd too that they decide that they're gonna get rid of Trelane by blowing up the ship. Now, if Trelane can zip off to anywhere in the universe he wants to go, why would he hang around on the ship while it blows up? This is the probably the downfall of this issue. I mean, it, it's a small quibble. It's it's silly. Obviously, this has no bearing on Trillane. In fact, he stops it anyway. He wipes the memory core. He's a uh, and and takes all the engines offline and everything like that, so that the um, self destruct goes out the window. And then it turns out that that life form thing that's been following them ends up on the bridge as. Uh, uh, well, we're not going to call her a hottie because she's not. Um, she's no Zara. But yeah, no, no. Uh, but apparently she's been chasing Trelane around. And the whole reason he's been doing this, Trelane, is he really just wants some relationship advice about how to pick up chicks. Uh, apparently he could have just gotten Kirk's Guide to Women. I've got it on my bookshelf. Uh, they sell it at every Federation news service stop. 
Uh, you know, you can get it in any Federation gift shop. Um, you know, I don't know why I didn't just pick that up. I uh, could have gotten all of this. Well, I have to tell you, uh, it happens right before the the female being comes onto the ship. And it turns out to be a diversion. But when Uhura says, if you want to learn about women, Trelane, you don't want yeah. to ask another man. I've introduced more than one young man to the mysteries of romance. And I, I wrote, oh my, Uhura. <laughs> yeah, all I could think of was uh, so Scotty in Star Trek V. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, even trained him to bring you food packs. No, she, that's right. Exactly. Did she bring him food packs, or he brought? He she brought, brought him yeah. some food packs while yeah. he was working. So yeah. Um, but um, so turns out Terlane and his lady friend they leave the ship. Finally, he she takes him off uh, their hands. And uh, they have this great scene between Kirk and and Spock and Bones. It says, beings from a race as advanced as theirs. And Bones says, and they came looking for pointers on the birds and the bees. And Spock says, the immature of most higher species develops slowly, Doctor. The more advanced the species, the more irrational it's young. <laughs> and that's pretty much the end, except for the fact that uh, Kirk decides to make an intergalactic call to Carol Marcus and have the end of that conversation that they had started yeah. um, where we were with her. And so um, all in all, I, this is a good one. I, I, it's just it's ridiculously fun. fun romp. Yeah. Yeah. I have no issues with it. Even, even what we talked about with the, the small bit we got uh, with them going to blow up the ship. I don't care. This is, this is funny uh, and enjoyable. And the fact that it actually meant something later on to kind of the, the uh, Carol and um, Kirk relationship and him kind of dealing with his choices and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was really good. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. It's a lot of fun. And looking at it in terms of the question, is Trelane a Q? I felt that everything that Trelane did in this story, coming to the Enterprise, coming to try to get to, to learn something from Kirk whisking the Enterprise away into the field of giant potatoes to the core of a star, taking Kirk to his apartment, taking him to find Carol Marcus. It all was stuff that Q would do to Picard. And then you've got the finger snapping and all. And so while this comic never comes out and says that Trelane is a Q, I feel like in the writing, it is part of the great retcon that Trelane is part of the Q continuum. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't really have a problem with that. I, I think it works, and I think it's fun, um, and it makes for a good story here. And so, um, the the second comic that we're gonna do is part of the Star Trek Unlimited series, and it is a crossover with two starship, two crews, one adventure. That's and right. so we're gonna get the uh, the crew of the original series Enterprise, and then the crew of the Enterprise E. Um, and luckily enough, uh, Worf was able to visit the <laughs> Enterprise know. E. So uh, I was really glad of that. Apparently Captain Sisko was able to give Worf some time off so he could go watch the, the launch of the Enterprise E. So I was really excited about that. It's so nice of, of Captain Sisko, so accommodating. It really is. I know. I, I read that. I, I thought he always finds a way. Worf always finds a way to show up when the 
Enterprise crew is going to go on an adventure. It's it's like he's got a special space beeper that allows him <laughs> to know exactly when they're going to have a big adventure. <laughs> I think so. And then he he arranges his vacation time. Cisco's pretty loose with it, you know. He's like, "You just give me like give me twelve hours notice, and I'll let you go." So. Yeah, I mean, you have all that leave saved up like most right. Starfleet officers. It's fine. That's fine, yeah. Now, one interesting thing in this comic is this is a Stan Lee and Paramount Pictures Presents, a very special issue of Star Trek Unlimited. So we've got that little little connection there as well. So, okay, so we jump into this one and we have Q and Trelane. Now, I was a little thrown off at the beginning of this, Matthew, because while Trelane looks like William Campbell... Q, especially in the the first page where they're sitting and we see both of them looking at the tri-dimensional chessboard, it doesn't look anything like John Delancey. And I was wondering, like, who's this Starfleet Admiral that he's playing with here? Yeah, that's what I thought, too. For a second, I was like, is this like a young Riker or something? Like, Mm -hmm. what is going on here? And then I realize it's Q and he and uh, and Trelane are having an argument and Trelane says that he has a way of solving their argument and of course the stakes are the universe of course and uh exactly so we jump to the next page and it's a great beautiful picture of the Enterprise E in space dock and the crew is about to launch the ship they're all ready to go they're waiting for the captain to show up on the bridge and the captain turns out to be Captain Kirk? <laughs> you know what? This page, it's not even that it's Captain Kirk's face when you turn the page and you see it and you look at Riker's eyes bulging out. It's not even yes. that. It's the tunic. It's the first contact era black and gray tunic that is the tightest Starfleet uniform I have ever seen in my life it really is it looks like he borrowed gen zia dax's uniform and squeezed into it no no not gen zia's um, esri's <laughs> <laughs> it is very very tight in fact i think uh you know if you, you scroll back a little bit i don't even think De- uh deanna's is as tight as kirk's is no um no. but he does look like a great action here and i gotta say man kirk looks really good in the first contact uniform yeah yeah, you know, I, I just... Ah. Yeah, I'd like to see one that was actually cut to fit him, though. Well, well, you know. <laughs> uh, he did get busted over there by Trelane, so maybe Trelane gave him a little bit of a... I you guess. know, uh, uh, a good tailoring. So, and this is when Kirk was in uh, very good shape. I mean, he's been pulled from the the old Constitution yeah, class. Right. This so is this Shatner is was in great shape. TOS television series William yeah. Shatner right here. Yeah. So this this comic, the actual name of the comic is an infinite jest, and so we move on, and Kirk's there on the Enterprise E, and I, I love this line, Matthew, where Kirk tells them to to leave. We're gonna leave. We're going to launch and leave dry dock. And he says, take us out, Mr. Sue uh, Helmsman. And then Worf says, take us out. And Riker says, new ship, new catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. The fact that they realized their captain has a catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, which is, it, you know, it's great. They They leave. Uh, and then we get back to Trelane and uh, and Q, and they're spicing things up. 
and it turns out that who is the captain of this this constitution class starship it's Picard and it's I you know I gotta say man Picard pulls off the the pajamas really well <laughs> he looks pretty good in there yeah I think so and uh not only that but you know um uh he really does Trelane really does feel like and this is the thing that was interesting about this comic is is that they're pitting these two captains in time periods that they don't exist they don't belong and so Kirk and 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 uh Trelane uh, our Trelane thinks that that Kirk will be able to survive in the 24th century universe, and Q thinks that Picard will be able to pull this off in in the 23rd century universe. And but they're both betting against each other that the other person's pick won't work. And so right. I just think it's interesting watching these two captains in a very different time frame and having to to very quickly figure this out. And Picard figures it out pretty quickly. And Picard being in the past time frame is interesting because Picard has the more advanced knowledge, uh, the more he's used to the more advanced systems, and he sees this this Klingon uh, battle cruiser. I think it's an old D seven, and he says, "Lieutenant, rotate the multiphasic shields to." And Chekhov says, "Captain, what are multiphasic shields? <laughs> what the hell yeah. are you talking about, Captain?" <laughs> <laughs> Which to that point. Picard just is like, um, give him a full spread of torpedoes now. And then, of course, it's working. The Klingons start to run, and Picard tells them to turn around and leave because, well, that's what Picard does. <laughs> that's right. The and, Picard uh, maneuver, uh, number exactly. one, run away, right? Exactly. Um, and then Spock's like, uh, but Captain, we were supposed to take care of these Klingons because they have invaded our space. At this, they're violating Federation territory. And Picard says, Mr. Spock, I'd like to see you in my ready room. And he says to the Spock says, Captain, you don't have a ready room. Are you okay? <laughs> what do you think this is? Archer's Enterprise? <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't call for a staff meeting. And then Sulu would say, what is a staff meeting? Exactly. <laughs> well, and then, of course, Q shows up and kind of tells Kirk. Um, Q shows up and tells Picard basically what's going on. You don't have a choice. You have to be a part of this game. There's no choice. You just have to do it. And then in the, in the very next page, Trelane is telling Kirk the same thing as well. Right. And neither of them really want to to do this and and what i love is at the bottom of this page here with kirk and trelane kirk is actually doing the the hands thing that he does you know where he's 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 trying to make a point with his hands <laughs> yeah, he's right. actually doing it in the comic it's <laughs> fantastic it feels just like kirk um it's exactly. so well done and so i love that that kirk is sitting in in um the observation lounge there or something and uh Troy comes in and says, you seem to distract it. Is there anything I can do to help you? And Kirk goes, undoubtedly. <laughs> That's right. I was distracted. Now I'm very distracted. <laughs> exactly. Well, I love he goes, I'm forgetting my manners. Won't you please join me? <laughs> and then they're walking out to the bridge because it gets called over. And he puts his arm around Troy. And Troy goes, uh, Captain, this might be a new ship, but the bridge is still the same place I can find my way around. And he's like, oh, I don't mind at all. 
<laughs> when they come into the bridge, because of course there's the big, you can see very clearly as they're walking down the corridor, he's got his arm around her. When they walk onto the bridge, are they holding hands? Um, you know, I thought that that might be the case, but I think really what's happened is it's, it. Kirk is ahead of her, and the way okay. that his hand looks, it makes it look like they're holding hands. It but really looks really like, like so. And and then I'm sure Riker's loving that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it turns out that the Enterprise E and the uh, Constitution class Enterprise here, the original, have been transported very far away, and the only... And they're in a completely unknown region of space. And the only thing that they see is a planetoid um, that is called Salvation. But strangely enough, this planetoid didn't exist in the computer banks until a few minutes ago. Right. And I don't know how Spock knows that, but... uh... (laughs) Well, Spock, you know, in in his free time, he's always staring into that little viewer. He's just studying the star maps in his free time. He is... The computer, and so... That's right. So this, at least Salvation doesn't chase the Enterprise the way Gothos did. That's true. (laughs) That's true. And this is where the the two omnipotent beings start to step up the game. So, yeah, the Klingons show up, and they are in a Vorchak-class ship. And not only that, but it's actually Galron's ship. But it's facing off against the Constitution-class Enterprise with Picard in the captain's chair. Then you have Kang showing up and facing off against Kirk in the Enterprise E, but he is in one of the old D7 yep. class battle cruisers. And so trying to figure out that both of these guys are playing this chess match against each other and facing these two things. And you know, like it's at this point, I really felt like, okay, this is just a fan service comic. Well, everything that we've wanted to kind of see yeah. happen Okay, Kirk uh, in the 24th century, we want Picard in the in the 23rd century. What would Picard do on Kirk's ship and vice versa? Uh, this is exactly that. I think, Matthew, it's, it's a really good point. And what I'll get to here when we get to the end of this is I think there's another point to this whole comic and why this comic exists. And it's very similar to what you said just there. But it... it like it does feel like that, right? Because it starts to not make any sense that, well, the Enterprise E is going to face off against a D seven. I mean, the, the the D seven has no chance whatsoever. The Constitution class Enterprise facing off against Galron's battle cruiser. The Constitution class has no chance whatsoever. So then they start just kind of bending the rules where, oh, the shields are down. You know, Q makes the shields not work so that it it evens the 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 playing field and. It's yeah. At this point, I mean, what do you think about the story at this point? Because in in the beginning, it was interesting to see them switch places, mm -hmm. but now that the action is actually taking place, Mm -hmm. how do you feel the story is going? Um, it's okay. Um, I I mean, I, I in the end, overall, I like this comic. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, it's a completely goofy. And it's kind of stupid, goofy, yeah. but that's not the point. I, I really like seeing these characters out of place. I like Picard trying to have to tell McCoy and Spock that he's not really their captain, even though he looks like it to them. And they do the mind meld, and, and so Picard can share the memories that he got from the mind meld he had with a future Spock and realize that this yeah. isn't 
Captain Kirk. That was an interesting um, touch, course, I thought, right there, because that, that mm-hmm. actually kind of, if time travel ever makes sense, that kind of made sense that... It, it it was a it was a nice callback to a future event for Picard, something that we're familiar with, that actually tied Spock back to himself. So right, right, and then um, you know, I thought it was really interesting. On the other side, is that is that Kirk uses the idea of learning who Deanna is as an empath to to, to have her figure out. Look, I'm not who you think I am as captain. I, I don't fit here. And then he does it by by being Kirk, by telling her that she's the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. And um, she says, I'm flattered, not just by your comment, but by the level of your conviction. And then he gives this great speech about, um, Deanna, I was not your captain. I was transported here by a powerful entity to play out some stupid, deadly game. The only solution lies on the salvation, which... We can only win and beat him in his own game uh, if the crew are with me. And that's just just a classic Kirk speech. Yeah. Although it reminds me of Picard's speech to the past time frame and all good things where he's telling the crew, like, you got to be with me. Like, I I can't really explain to you what's going on, but you got to be with me. Yes. Well, and then it's really interesting, too, because you get this... um, uh, she thinks he's talking about Q and he thinks he's talking about Trelane and they realize they're not talking about the same person. Um, and so I think that's really interesting as yeah. well. And so both crews beam down to the planet and they meet each other, which again, awesome fan moment right there, having them meet each other. And then Trelane is throwing a hissy fit because, you know, it's not working out the way he wanted. And then, of course, the Klingons beam down, which is great because they're also pissed that they're a part of this. And what's really funny, too, is that the two characters, Kirk and, and Picard, are acting a little bit more like the other Right. in this. Yeah. At this point, Picard is a little bit more um, rambunctious and a little bit more warlike and, and uh, Kirk's been a little bit more on the diplomatic side and they they had this whole thing and I think it's great that Picard says that you know neither of you seems to comprehend that boldness and conciliation might just be characteristics of all Starfleet officers and I, I thought that was really good because you know there are parts of you know Kirk can be the diplomat he can just as much as he could be the warrior and, and vice versa we've seen Picard be a warrior when he has to be, uh, even though he prefers to be the diplomat. So I thought that that was great. Yeah, I, I think that that highlights one of the points of the comic, which is a question. Does the time period and the technology surrounding the person make the person who they are? Because you see Picard being put back in the 23rd century era and situations and how he has to approach a situation in order to deal with it using the tools that are available to him. And it changes his personality a bit. It changes his approach. And then you see the same situation with Kirk. And so I think that the time periods really influence these captains in a way that we maybe don't always 
give it credit for, where we really think it's this person is this person, regardless of the time that they're in. But actually, those surroundings have a strong influence on them. Yeah, and and I like the fact that they, it, you know, it does very much have a strong influence on them, but it doesn't mean that they they can't um, also adapt to their situation. Um, that that Starfleet officers are trained to adapt, and so I think that that's that's one of the things that I also see here is that both of these guys are, are able to quickly um, see where they are and and. and you know, kind of move and, and figure out what they need to do to 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 survive where they are, which is, yeah. is pretty cool. So it wraps up the Klingons beam down. Uh, they, Kark Picard, they let the Klingons know, you really need to be mad at these two guys over here, not us. And then both Trelane and Q together, they both snap their fingers and the crews are sent back to their respective ships, the correct ships, and the comic kind of ends. But... This is the thing, Matthew, in wrapping up the discussion here. What I think this comic is really about, and you said it's kind of like a fan service comic. Picard says, this is nothing but a schoolyard squabble. My captain is better than yours. It's childish and petulant. And basically what I read that as is that the whole point of the comic is the battle between fandom and the generations, especially at the time that this comic was written. The battle between original series fans and next generation fans and which captain is better. You know, there's the line in the weird Al song, white and nerdy, where he says, the only question that I ever found hard was, do I like Kirk or do I like Picard? And that's what it boils down here to is it's that fandom battle between Kirk and Picard and Picard himself is saying here, what, what they did in the comic is they put Picard in the TOS era. They put Kirk in the TNG era. And they actually, instead of Trelane and Q using these characters as pawns in a game, like we as fans use these characters as pawns in our debate. And I really feel for me, that's the whole point of this entire comic is to juxtapose these captains and then have the same argument well, and and I think that um, it's very clear too that they're trying to say that these captains could work in the other time period if they had to. You know, um, would they be a little bit different than they are in their respective show? Yeah, um, but that's because of the time period they be in, and who you know who doesn't adapt or learn to cope with their situation that they're in. Um, so I think that it, it is a really that's a it is a really fun comic for that reason. It, it it does some really neat things. It gets a little silly there in the middle. Yeah. Um when they start kind of wanting upping each other and, and all that kind of stuff. But I actually I, I really do. I kinda of love seeing these characters in those positions and um it, it it turns out to be kind of a fun romp. And so, you know, I I'd say maybe this is um this is a seven out of ten finger snaps. All right, I think I'll give it eight extremely tight tunics. Ah, nice. All right, and so and also coming back as a final point. Well, two things. Picard has a final line, which I feel was written by a TOS fan, that says, "In our rush towards the future, 
we should never forget where we have come from or how far, mm, which is like yeah. saying, don't forget the original series that God is here, but also appreciate the next generation and mm. where we've come. And so that, that was a great line. And to the question of whether Trelane is a Q, I think this comic, they never say once again that Trelane is a Q here. You could read it as, well, there are these two omnipotent beings who get together and play chess with each other. I felt more like here, these were two Q. Trelane likes wearing general mm-hmm. garb from the 18th century and Q likes dressing like a Starfleet Admiral. But I feel like it's two Q sitting together yeah, having a game. So, so this one really does seem to come to the point of saying that, yes... Trelane is a cue. We're going to retcon that. All right, Matthew. Well, these these were really fun comics. I'm glad we got to talk about these and the idea popped in my head again from doing the Squire of Gothos on the Ready Room recently. But this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. The Trouble with Trouble's Commentary. Something which I think really gets overlooked in this episode you know, everyone, you know, talks about how funny it is and how the triples are so cute and all this stuff. But really, it's political satire. Earl Grey. Catherine Pulaski. You know, there will be times when I honestly will just forget that there was another doctor besides Crusher because it's really she's just one of the seven. I thought there were 12 doctors. Oh, wait, never mind. We're talking. Never mind. Sorry. I was thinking of something else. <laughs> I see what you did there. The orb. Dominion Invasion Tactics. And Bashir says, look, I know what the orders say, but he attacked Chief O'Brien and we have rules against that sort of thing here. So I think that they're trying to figure out, yes, the Federation has rules, but how much are they willing to bend the rules depending on how we push their buttons? The Ready Room. Find your mission, your three. I, I, I literally wrote the words to a piece of the action the day before I recorded it, which was about two days before <laughs> we sent the album off to be mastered. To the journey! Season 1 Marathon. I mean, I do see what you mean. Like you said, the A-plot is absolutely boring, but we get a lot of cool moments in here, and we get a lot of introductions. And so for that, it's a good episode to watch in a marathon just because you're introduced to all these cool things. Warp 5. Horror on Enterprise. Mm -hmm. Isn't it interesting on this episode, when Reed is being inhabited, the first thing he does is go and hits on all the women. When the fir- when Troop is being <laughs> yeah. inhabited, the first thing he does is go and eats everything in sight. Commentary, Trek stars. Demon with a glass hand. I wonder what audiences at the time thought of it. You know, this is a time when Beverly Hillbillies was probably the most popular TV show. I just can't imagine what they w- must have thought uh, watching this thing. Literary Treks. David Mack, A Ceremony of Losses. And then we color-coded it, and we started lining up dates and uh, events and saying, well, this book runs from this date to this date. These events in this book happen on these dates. So that if you're writing this scene in book two, you know that it happens exactly, let's say, 11 days after this event in book one. And that sort of meticulous, down-to-the, you know, fine-detail granular planning became absolutely essential. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. 
So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week. And some days we even have two shows and you'll find them in a variety of places, including iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can download or stream from the website. Matthew, let's tell everyone where to contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on Trelane and Q or on the ongoing comics that we talked about or, um, you know, what that light beam monkey might be doing on the cover of Protectors. You can go to trek.afilm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks, and that will come to us by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website. You can go to our forums at trek.afilm slash forums to join into a conversation with other listeners. And you'll find us in social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekafilm and on Twitter, where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek under username trekafilm. Now, Matthew, when you're not uh, zipping off to some seedy alien starbase with Trelane to pick up alien women, where can people find you? Well, Chris, they can find me uh, at MattRushing02 on Twitter. Uh, so tweeting about all sorts of different things. I, I have hit, I have finished my epic rewatch of Doctor Who, so uh, things will be back to your normally scheduled program there. Um, and uh, you can also find me on my own blog at uh, 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Chris, when you're not chasing intergalactic uh, omnipotent babes, uh, where can we find you? You can find me in that giant asteroid field filled with potatoes where I'm harvesting them to make some excellent you know, some space dinner. Now, you can also find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And elsewhere on the network, of course, Matthew, you and I do The Orb together where we talk about Deep Space Nine every week. You can also find me on Warp 5, where we talk about Enterprise. And you can find me on The Ready Room with hosts from all over the network, including Matthew quite often, where we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series and Star Trek news every week. And then also I have my own interview show called Matterstream, where I talk to actors and creatives and writers and all sorts of people like that about topics loosely related to Star Trek. So you can find all those over there on the network at trek.fm. Also, Matthew, before we let everyone go, we'd like to ask you to please support our sponsors for this week's show. Your support of our sponsors makes it possible for us to bring literary treks to you every week. And first, there's Squarespace, the web's best hosting in CMS, that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. Create your own space today. Go to squarespace.com and get that free 14-day trial that we talked about. And remember, as a Trek FM listener, you can save 10% by using offer code TREK11. And if you choose the annual plan, you'll also get a free custom domain registration as well. Again, that's at squarespace.com. Use offer code TREK11. And we really thank Squarespace for their support of literary treks. Also, Matthew, there is audible.com. Now, Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. They are the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. Of course, there's classic books there. Current bestsellers are there as well. They have a lot of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, Spock's World, lots of TNG novels as well, lots of TOS novels from the numbered series. And those are narrated by many of the actors that you know and love from the show. And as a Trek of Film listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books that you've yet to read 
or that latest novel from your favorite author, just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. And that also helps us keep literary treks coming to you every week. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of literary treks and the network. And lastly, one more way that you can help us is by adopting some aliens. Now, they're not the, the kind of aliens, Matthew, that you saw over there at that crazy star base. Uh, they're not going to beat you up. They're not going to throw you across a bar. They're not going to reject your passes at them either. Oh, good. <laughs> no, no. They, they, they want to come and live with you, either as badges or art prints. These are original illustrations by Toba Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. And you can mix and match badges or art prints. Choose which ones you want in which format. There are different contribution levels that you can make as well. And your support helps us pay for the costs of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. And you'll find these aliens over at trek.fm slash donate. So go check them out today. Let us know which ones you'd like to have. And we really thank you for helping us keep the network going. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.